You're listening to Pros Like Us. Brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. We're zooming into week two already, but uh, historically, you know, this is the time of the season for the biggest major overreactions, right? Every show will come in and tell you about how, you know, laughable it is to overreact because it's just one game, but then they'll proceed to do about 30 segments about overreactions. Not this show, though. No way. We are not going to overreact. We're recording on Wednesday. We've saved all that for earlier in the week and those other shows. This is Pros Like Us, Alex. We will not, repeat, not do overreactions, right? We're not going to do it, Lou. We're going to eliminate that part from the show, even if oh, we... Oh, uh, I, think, I think we might have a couple, but go ahead. Let's start with Thursday night game. The Bills have been proclaimed the Super Bowl favorite by many people. I also picked them to win the Super Bowl. On Thursday night, they looked as good as ever. Buffalo's defense hauled in three picks and seven sacks. It was just a tremendous effort. And the fact that they were playing against you know Super Bowl champs and they were able to beat them by more than 21 points. The Rams offense struggled. You know, obviously the blocking issues up front on the offensive line. I think their inability to run the football caused their passing game to suffer. I want to give the credit to the Buffalo Bills because even though Josh Allen threw a couple of picks and they weren't pretty, but they were always in control of that game. Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis made plays. Devin Singletary, obviously Josh Allen was riding that ship. But I think the main credit should go to the Buffalo's defense. They kept the Rams at bay, and they were able to give them problems up front where Stafford didn't have that much time to throw. So my first overreaction, I guess, is that, hey, Buffalo Bills deserve the preseason hype, the fact that they're Super Bowl favorites. Uh, The Rams aren't as bad as they looked on Thursday night, and they'll bounce back. I'm sure they will. Buffalo might claim that first Super Bowl in 2023. The biggest thing, you know, to me is that, again, those guys really, they don't play during the preseason, right? I mean, we've praised Sean McVay for resting the the starters and so forth, and they don't play in preseason games. So it's going to take a while to get going. And like you said, I agree. I mean, Buffalo, Josh Allen is on a mission. He did throw a couple interceptions. But, you know, other than that, you know, they were pretty much flawless. I think two under-the-radar player, and I have to mention Von Miller looked like he was about 10 years younger. He was a little amped, a little juice. I mean, obviously, hey, they raised the banner that he helped bring there. And he was going to show them that, hey, I'm still a player here. And he went after Stafford, got him a couple of times. You talk about that Buffalo defensive line. If Ed Oliver and Jordan Phillips are going to play like this, if they're going to be this consistent and this disruptive during the course of the year, and they don't have to send a lot of added pressures, it's going to be tough. I mean, Buffalo's really, really good. But I guess the big question is, are the Rams really this bad? Or again, is it rust? Is it just the fact that Buffalo was just way more ready to play than the Rams were? Was it the distractions? Hey, we just raised the banner. You know, a lot of things maybe were working, I guess, against them. 
as well as the fact that it seemed like there was more Buffalo people there than there were Rams. They were going to a silent count. You're going to a silent count at home. You know something's wrong. And I think Justin Herbert faced the same thing this past weekend against the Raiders. So all in on Buffalo. Still, you know, I'm not going to go against my Super Bowl picks. Everything's staying the same. But uh, yeah, that was a great way to start the season. If we stay on the uh, kind of the path, the teams that maybe came out of the gate a little bit slow. Maybe it's the fact that they're not playing a lot. We saw it happen with the Packers last year. They come right back this year and lay an egg in the first one, Green Bay. Was it more, you know, the lack of playing time for Rodgers and those receivers, or was it that Minnesota is this much better? So I'm not buying the fact that Minnesota is that much better. The Packers, I want to remind folks that they also lost badly last year as they well did. got crushed new orleans they played the game in jacksonville because you know there was a hurricane but Jameis, the saints yeah absolutely and then the packers got it together and won 13 games this is not the same team i thought the defense struggled and i thought they would play better but let's remind folks aaron Rodgers didn't have his bookends okay he didn't have his left tackle he didn't have his starting right tackle if Christian Watson catches that pass for 75-yard touchdown, the game is completely different, okay? It just changes the whole tune, and he dropped it. So new weapons for Rodgers. I think they're going to be fine in Week 2, so I don't want to overreact. The Packers have been here. I think they'll handle their business, and I think they'll get it done. I'm not in tune calling the Vikings, you know, the favorite in the AFC North, that they're going to run away with this division, that they're going to make the playoffs. Let's see what happens in week two. I think the Viking ship is going to be brought down back to earth a little bit. You know, like I said, I picked them to uh, to go to the playoffs. And I, I think, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, the Vikings look pretty good. They only gave up, I think, 100 yards in the second half. Rodgers going to have to be patient with those receivers. And I think he said as much after the fact, although during the game, he seemed like went away from Watson until like late in the game, but it might've made things a little bit different, but uh, Cousins looked pretty good. I mean, obviously Justin Jefferson is doing Justin Jefferson things. And now do we go into full panic mode on Dallas Sunday night game? Now, granted, it wasn't like Tampa Bay played a scintillating game offensively. Could have scored about 40 points, but bunch of field goals. So Dallas defense kind of bowed up when they got in the red zone. But Dallas offense just looked listless. Even before he got hurt, Dak was struggling. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I didn't have them in the playoffs coming in. It's not like, oh, yeah, I see, I told you so. I didn't think they would be this bad. But they're going to be missing Dak for a minimum of four weeks. You know, that's very, very optimistic, almost unrealistic for him to come back with hardware in his thumb. So I'm a little concerned right now if I'm a Cowboys fan or player. I picked the Cowboys to win the NFC East division. I am worried about the Cowboys because none of the other teams lost their starting quarterback, you know, for the next four to eight weeks, whatever it's going to be. Being without Dak for a significant chunk of time will cost the Cowboys for sure. But even more alarming to me was how horrible they looked on offense before even he got hurt. I mean, the line was a mess. CeeDee Lamb didn't impress me. I mean, he didn't look like a number one wide receiver in that offense. I know they're missing a few guys at wide receiver, but they're going to be missing them for a long time. 
all the concerns about the Cowboys offense that followed them into the season were on display. And it's obviously not going to get any easier to fix that problem with the quarterback number one being on the shelf. I realized that the Bucks dictated the game. You know, they limited the Cowboys to three points. You know, Devin White, like Antoine Winfield Jr., Shaquille Barrett, they rose to the occasion. But come on. I mean, if the Cowboys are going to compete for the playoffs, they can't play like this. I mean, they can't score three points. Their defense played fine. But it's their offense that is going to give you, you know, cause for concern. And then Jerry Jones goes on radio and says that, Hey, Dak is going to miss four weeks. We're not going to put him on IR. Do they actually think that they can ride the ship with Cooper Rush? Are you kidding me? Don't you think you would be the first team calling to trade maybe for Jimmy G or somebody else? I mean, you need to make like a desperate move here. I'm not a believer in Cooper Rush. The Cowboys could be 0-5 and Mike McCarthy is going to be on the golf course somewhere in October. So here's our first overreaction. <laughs> so we lied at the top. And everything points to McCarthy, but, you know, is Kellen more really the, the answer as the offensive coordinator? You know, does some of this fall on him? It seemed like, you know, Zeke looked, I mean, to me, a lot better than I expected, and they, like, went away from him immediately. I mean, I think he only carried the ball, like, 10 times for well over 50 yards. I mean, I don't know what's going on with Dallas, but you know, I saw Sean Payton on the herd yesterday, and I think he's just kind of sitting back waiting for things to play out, and his phone's going to be ringing, like, probably within the next few months. Lou, who surprised you the most during week one, actually? I mean, besides the Cowboys laying an egg out there, are you? Yeah. who are you most surprised by or disappointed by? Well, as far as a team goes, well, disappointed, I, I'm going to say Dallas. Not that I thought that they were going to win the game, but if you remember the opener from last year, when they went into Tampa, that was a great game. Both offenses are flying around. But again, he had you know, Tyron Smith. He had uh, Amari Cooper. You know, Everything was kind of in position, talking about Dak. And Brady didn't have this off-season of disruption and unrest. I think maybe the Cowboys, especially playing at home, I mean, that was just really awful. To score three points the whole game was just awful. On the other end, I, th I think the Dolphins a little bit. Uh, not that I expected them to come out, or and basically it's going to come down to Tua, that he was going to lay an egg against Bill Belichick. But now it, we can start the narrative where Tua's got Bill's number. He's now, I think, 4-0 against them. You know, Hill was, you know, he did his thing. You know, Jalen Waddell hit the big touchdown on fourth down, right down the seam there. So uh, I think the Dolphins have the beginnings of something here. Their defense looked really good. But again, the Patriots offense, again, another offense that's just ridiculous. You know, I'm going to temper myself a little bit on the Dolphins. They play in Baltimore this week. Maybe that gives us a little bit better feel for, you know, how, how this might go or where Tua is at this point. I would say those two were, were kind of at the at the opposite ends uh you got to throw the rams in there too i didn't see that coming i thought it'd be a decent game i'm not surprised they lost but that was pretty ugly performance the one team that laid a huge egg on sunday that's very dear to my heart <laughs> oh here we go are yeah. the 49ers i mean yeah. i i gotta go with that because watching that game lance looked just overwhelmed for most of the afternoon you can blame the rain not having George Kittle on the field, but he needs to take a massive step forward because if he doesn't improve from week one to week two, 
I mean, they're going to call for his head. And the fact that he has Jimmy G in the locker room, you know guys inside that locker room are going to start wondering, hey, this guy has taken us to the playoffs. This guy has taken us to the Super Bowl. The young guy can't cut it. Trey Lance struggled in rainy conditions. And the one thing that really disappointed me was how the 49ers shot themselves in the foot. I mean, 12 penalties for 99 yards? I mean, this team needs to be a little bit more disciplined than that. This is a veteran bunch. They've been together before. They've got weapons on defense, on offense. And the fact that they lost so badly to the Chicago Bears, who I'm mostly convinced by that this team is going to have like a top five pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. They're not good. They're not going to surprise anyone. The fact that the Bears were able to handle the 49ers so easily and the Niners never got in rhythm offensively, it has to get better. But in week one, I'm disappointed beyond belief. I think it will. I might be in the minority. I don't think you have a Trey Lance problem at this point. You know, he made some good throws early. They were moving the ball. You know, like you said, a lot of self-inflicted wounds. I mean, the De- the Debo fumble inside the 10, you know, that's probably not going to happen a lot, right? I mean, so again, if you're looking at things, it changes the game. If they score there and now all of a sudden it's 17 nothing, you know, the Bears aren't coming back from that. I mean, this was more San Francisco handing Chicago the game versus Chicago really taking it. Now, the Bears' defense did play decent, and Lance obviously did not set the world on fire, but I don't think he was as bad as people think, and it's not going to be a huge leap for him to get this team rolling. So let's see what happens again. You know, against I think they play the Seahawks this week. They play in San Francisco, Santa Clara. So I, I think you're going to see a much better Trey Lance in this game. A lot of injuries. I didn't, you know, I didn't see what it was last year, the last few years. But my goodness, ACLs, Achilles, Dak with the thumb, T.J. Watt, where initially was feared that it was a torn pec. He even said it as he's coming off the field. But now they're saying, hey, he may not have to. Probably not going to have surgery. This might be more of a six-week thing. So I'm sure Steeler fans are, are breathing a sigh of relief. But so many injuries. Some may have been even attributed to the the field conditions now obviously Chicago that was a monsoon it was a new turf and so forth but I know watching the the Cardinals Chiefs game there was two specific injuries that happened to the Chiefs of course and now I'm going to sound like a homer but Harrison Butker I mean it's a dome there's no reason for the turf to be giving way under his feet he's like basically sprains his ankle on the first or second kickoff of the game by the way i mean talking about surprising things how about justin reed's leg huh drills an extra point kicking kickoffs well you know beyond the end zone so that big ups to justin reed all you can do baby uh, and then also trent mcduffie the rookie you know again wasn't hit or anything but turf gives way and he you know hamstring pull yeah let's let's get these fields in better shape i mean it's a 16 billion dollar a year industry you'd think let's get the field in good shape right Well, absolutely. But I also like from week one action, I also took away from myself that special teams need to be better. You know, you need to be in tune. Special teams unit needs to be in tune. I'm talking about the lawn snapper, the holder, the kicker. They need to be like a fine oiled machine. And during week one action, that was such a huge problem for a few teams out there. 
And I come back to this again. We talked about it last year, how important it is to have a dependable kicker. We want to forget about these guys, but we saw what happened to the Colts. We saw what happened to the Bengals. And the fact that, you know, the Bengals lost in overtime. The Colts tied the Texans, the lowly Texans in overtime. And weren't hey, able to hey, now, it. that was a cover, baby. I know you covered, but it's just the, the Colts should win against the Texans. They shouldn't be losing, you know, what is it like, uh, 20 okay. to 3 going into the fourth quarter. I mean, that's that's absolutely atrocious out there. Okay. So kickers, we never pay attention to them. We always take it for granted, you know, special teams. But they play such a vital part in the NFL. And we just we want to kind of ignore that part. We want to forget about it. But it's so important to have a good kicker and a backup quarterback as well. I mean, why does Jerry Jones and the Cowboys continue to ignore the backup quarterback position? Do they feel so good with Cooper Rush? Or do they feel so good about Dak Prescott staying healthy for 17 games, which is something he hasn't been able to do? He hasn't been able to stay healthy. He has been injured in the past. Those decisions continue to baffle me a little bit. And by the way, Blankenship got cut by the Colts. He did, Entertaining a couple of kickers out there. Unfortunately for Rodrigo, yes. Who is going to take the lead out there? So hopefully the Colts solve that issue because this team is too good to not win against the Texans. So there were some special teams and kickers that made some kicks in the much ballyhooed uh, Baker revenge game. Cade, New York. Cade, a fourth round pick from uh, LSU, I believe, for the Browns. And the, the pick was kind of questioned, you know, when it came out. My God, why are we taking a kicker in the fourth round and bang, whatever, 58-yard field goal to win it at the end? I think he's paid off that, that pick for now. So so that was a good one. Will Lutz, of course, made his game winner against Atlanta. I mean, a furious comeback. The Saints were down 16 in the fourth quarter. And I think it's the biggest uh, comeback in Saints history, actually actually, which is kind of nutty. And then, of course, I guess not so positive. I mean, I, you know, Boswell finally made a 50-yarder in overtime, actually, after he missed one er- earlier in overtime. The Monday night game, Russ's return to Seattle, which I, I wanted to get your take on, too, where he got booed when he was announced. It wasn't as, you know, touchy-feely, you know, throughout the road. They brought, you know, the, the 12s booed him. They brought back, you know, some of the guy Legion of Boom and whatever. It didn't look like they were in for the Russ Fest either. But as the game went on, it looked like, you know, Denver was doing a lot of great things, but, you know, two fumbles inside the five so forth. Uh, you know, some bad play, a lot of, a lot of mistakes. They're snapping the ball, you know, with one second on the play clock. They got hit with a bunch of delay of games. Was it the noise? Was it the, you know, just the new coach, new quarterback, you know, everything new? So I don't know all those questions. But the bottom line is this, at the end of the game where they had a chance to win it, it's fourth and five from the other team's 46. You just paid Russ 250 million, whatever the hell they paid him. And hey, we had a plan. If we got to the 46, we were just going to go ahead and kick. It's fourth and five. 
They've been saying it all offseason. Let's ride. And they take Russ off the field. And just in a really cringy moment where they just let the, the game clock run down. Everybody you know, on the Manning cast, you know, Peyton's furiously giving the timeout signal. Shan- they had Shannon Sharp on, another former Bronco. What are we doing? What are we doing? Think they're going to kick. Kick what? I mean, it was just so, so comical. And, you know, God bless him, Mc- McManus on a 64-yard field goal. He almost made it, but it doesn't matter almost they missed but again do you take it out of russ's hands there and 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 rely on your kicker what do you do i think you got to let russ cook right i mean this is why you brought him there i think russ thought that he was still playing for the seahawks that's Let's what ride. Pete Carroll would do Let's right ride well nathaniel hackett admitted in his press conference that he made a blunder there that they should have gone for it on fourth and five even though they had a plan that if they get to the 46, they kick it. But he admitted that they should have let Russ cook. They should have continued. They should have converted. As statistics say, I read it somewhere, it's like a 48% chance that they convert there. So that's one out of two, Lou. It's tough to argue against statistics. And yeah, the Broncos just screwed that up. And time management, there's so many coaches that just don't know how to spend timeouts, you know, how to like use them in in different situations. And Nathaniel Hackett just looked like he was in over his head there. And first game, I guess you can give him that much as far as maybe just, I mean, being perfect with it. You can put those last few seconds or last 30 seconds as game management. And in his mind, he was managing it properly where, hey, whatever, if we make this, Right. We want to give them as little time as possible to try to do the same thing to us to get a field goal attempt going the other way. It was more that that decision at the end. I mean, is in, in my mind to say, OK, can't believe Russ didn't call timeout immediately himself. Just just, hey, I'm the leader of the ship here. We got to get a first down here and then get, you know, get a field goal or, or whatever. So that surprised me, too, that Russ didn't just instinctively call timeout and say, hey, it's fourth down. Let's talk about this, get our, get our best play, and let's go. Let's ride. You know, also during week one action, I mean, Russ didn't win against his former team. The Baker Bowl, even though the Panthers were the favorites there, Cleveland won. So the quarterbacks that got shipped out of town weren't able to, to get those revenge games out of the way and win the game. Their former teams won. That was a little bit surprising considering what Cleveland is going through and considering, I mean, who the Seahawks are right now. Geno Smith looked like he's going to have the season for the ages if you're just judging it based on his week one performance against the Denver Broncos, especially in the first half. Well, and Pete, as only Pete can do, again, he was having the game of his life. And then in the second half, it was like, yeah, we'll just, you know, try to limit our mistakes. You know, we're not going to take any chances because, again, I mean, he was like, what, 17 of 18 in the first half. And I think he threw like 10 passes, if that, in the second half. You know, again, he was playing well. Let's kind of stick with that. Let's try to, you know, try to build the lead. But uh, again, you know, so anyway, it turned out well. And of course, Pete then, you know, at that point after the game starts with kind of the subtle jabs on the, you know, to the other sideline and to Russ in particular, kind of played it cool, took the high road leading up to the game and, you know, whatever. But then he started getting a little petty and, hey, let's, uh, it's a, it's a game. It's a sport. You're going to talk some trash. So, yeah. All right, Pete. I was really impressed by the New York Giants. I mean, in the first half, they looked flat. 
against the Tennessee Titans. But in the second half, that big Saquon Barkley run, and the Giants showed life. And again, Saquon had, what, 194 combined yards during the game. It wasn't pretty. Daniel Jones isn't, you know, going to remind you of Josh Allen. But the Giants' defense kind of stood up. They made some plays. The running game was working. Sterling Shepard had that long touchdown against Fulton to score that touchdown. So the Giants showed life, something that they haven't shown the past couple of years under Joe Judge. And I was really impressed by that. I think Brian Dable and company are moving in the right direction. Well, he certainly endeared himself to the team, to the New York media, every Giants fan going when they scored the touchdown. And instead of settling for the extra point try, he went for two. Hey, we're going to try to win the game right here. Okay. And maybe not win the game, but at least go ahead and force them to, I don't know, be more aggressive when they got the ball because they had to, right? Tennessee, now you're losing instead of being tied. Tennessee probably, you know, as conservative as Vrabel can be with Tannehill, hey, we're just play for overtime. But, hey, you got to give Dayball, you know, all the credit in the world. We're going to go for it here, and we're just going to go for the win and rely on uh, another kicker that, that, that missed there. He missed a relatively makeable kick, too. So, again, going back to your special teams thing that uh, was kind of a recurring thing but you gotta love Dable's call there and then Saquon just to save that play which looked very familiar you know Mike Kafka the the offensive coordinator I think he's maybe see Randy Reed run that same play although when Hilaire ran it he was like could, could walk through it was like a, a, a cavern in the defense he walked in for the touchdown Saquon had to like break a tackle and then really you know make his presence felt so yeah good to see Saquon being Saquon and Dayball rolling the dice instead of just oh here we're, we're the Giants man we're, we don't want to screw this up you know, hey we're going for it man a couple of big plays that might have gone unnoticed Micah Parsons had a pretty good game against Tom Brady and he'd sacked him a couple of times and then there was uh, one where he was coming off the edge after he'd gotten him a couple of times and they put Fournette out there to quote-unquote chip Fournette unloads I mean this was like back in the day they used to call it a decleater because the guy comes off his cleats off the ground and, and he put him down. I mean, that was a really amazing play. That's how you slow down a pass rusher. So I thought that was pretty cool by Fournette. And then there was a catch in the Pittsburgh-Cincinnati game, Deontay Johnson. I mean, if you didn't see it, I mean, certainly Google it. It's been all over the place. And it was kind of almost reminiscent to the, the OBJ catch now it wasn't for a touchdown and and he had a toe drag. I mean it was there was a lot going on, but basically heading towards the Cincinnati goal line, lined up on the left side, going down the left sideline and he goes up with one hand with his left hand now. Okay, imagine that. You're your inside hand going up for the catch and he comes down with it, gets his feet in. It was just spectacular. So there was a couple of plays there that were maybe a little under the radar, but uh, I thought were worth mentioning and were, were pretty cool. Made me kind of stand up and, whoa, all right. All right, it's week one. Thursday night matchup, Lou. Obviously, it's the big game for the Chiefs against the Chargers. It's a matchup between top five teams in the NFL not the best two teams in the NFL. I know you're feeling good after the Chiefs, you know, dismantled 
the Arizona Cardinals there. But the Chargers also didn't look like any slouches because against the Raiders, I mean, Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack combined for 16 pressures, four and a half sacks, and and two turnovers. Uh, They were led by them. Mack had three sacks and four quarterback hits against the team that drafted him. So this is going to be a huge game out there. What do you think are the keys for this game? Well, obviously, you know, injuries are going to play a role, right? Think of Keenan Allen, a hamstring issue. I don't, you know, I don't think there's any way he's going to play on such a short turnaround because, you know, they got to travel one day, you know, real quick turnaround. So I don't see him playing, but, you know, one of my favorite, you know, fantasy picks of the year, Josh Palmer, it can be, you know, one of those games where he can kind of start making making a story for himself or making a, a claim at the number two receiver, although you've got Mike Williams, who has done well against the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, he's 2-2 two and two against Herbert, and the two wins, I think, were both in overtime uh, and both in L.A. So the Chargers have won a couple of times in Kansas City, which is kind of un- unheard of. I mean, Patrick has a winning record about against just about everybody except for Herbert and... Uh, Tom Brady. The key is going to be is, okay, one, the Chiefs offensive line. Can they slow down Mack and Bosa, right? And then on the other side of the ball, the Chiefs defense, are they going to be able to hang with Justin Herbert? Are they going to be able to get some sort of pass rush on him? Is Karloftis, they had a bunch of pressures against Kyler Murray. I think they only had three sacks, but different animal here, right? I mean, Herbert can run and get out, but he's not kind of you know the Kyler Murray this smaller slippery guy that's just going to get away at the at the last minute bigger dude so harder to come you know to bring down is Karloftis going to be able to get to him Frank Clark Carlos Dunlap are these at Chris Jones obviously I think the key is going to be which defensive front can impose their will on the other team's offense because again both quarterbacks elite all world no question about it. These guys are, you know, in the top three or four in the league, you know, depending on who you listen to or what you like. But, you know, again, to me, it's going to come down to the, you know, the, the both offensive lines, both defensive lines going to be in the trenches. I got to believe the Chargers have a little bit of a, an edge in the defensive backs. Although J.C. Jackson, I don't think he's iffy for the game. Chiefs have a lot of young guys. And one of them is out. I mentioned McDuffie going out. He's on IR for the next four weeks. So, you know, Jalen Watson, the seventh rounder from Washington State, is going to have to step up. He got a bunch of snaps last week. Uh, Joshua Williams, late of Pros Like Us. We interviewed him last year, our, our guy, Joshua Williams. He's going to have to step up. So some some ifs in the defensive backfield for the Chiefs, but... You know, the Chargers with, with James is out there, Asante Samuel Jr. This is just going to be a great game. Hard to pick a side. The Chiefs currently favored by four. Uh, you may just want to bet the over 54 and a half and, uh, and hope offenses have their way. All right, this is not my lock of the week, but I think the L.A. Chargers are going to win this game just because they've played the Chiefs tough ever since Herbert has entered the league. He's 2-2 two two against the Chiefs. He's played great against them. And I do think that defensive line is going to impose the fear in, into the Chiefs in the fourth quarter. I think they're going to wear them down a little bit. It's tough to contain guys like Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack 
for the entire game. And I think that's going to be the difference there. So I'm going with um, Herbert and company here at low. And Derwin James coming off the, I mean, they played him. I don't, I didn't see his snaps breakdown, but between playing the nickel, uh, free safety, he's rushing. I mean, he's playing straight cornerback on some cases. So where's Derwin? That's going to be interesting to see how they deploy him. And one of the things that I've been advocating for, and I think you're going to see it more and more, and I think they deployed it more this past game against Arizona, is the 13 personnel where they get Kelsey, Jody Fortson, and Noah Gray on the field at the same time. And again, to help uh, slow down the pass rush, to run the ball a little bit more, and to get size matchups with the smaller players trying to cover them. It's not going to be like for an entire drive, but I think you're going to see this a little bit more. And as they get more comfortable with it, you know, I'm just saying in a short week, again, it is a division opponent. I'm sure they talked about them all off season as they do the other division opponents. So again, the short turnaround is always a, a wild card. We'll wait to see what happens, but it's Arrowhead. It's the, the home opener under the lights. First, you know, Amazon Prime get all Thursday night. It's all of themselves. So it's just going to be a lot of fun to watch. But yeah, look for that 13 personnel. Maybe that makes the difference for the Chiefs. You ready to make your picks? Sure, but I have to gloat a little bit. Come on, Alex. I mean, we got to look back at last week. Three and one, the ugly game of the week. You scoff at me on a regular basis, but the ugly game of the week, Houston plus seven. Looked like it was going to be a laugher. Like, you know, they had it well in hand, but uh, ends up 20 to 20. They win that one. The aforementioned Chargers cover the spread against the Raiders, minus three and a half. That was your lock of the week, wasn't it? That's correct, yes. There you go. We're doing well here. Cincinnati, eh, that was probably not the smartest play. You know, going against the Steelers like that, minus seven. And then Minnesota, that was the money where my mouth is with uh, the Vikings. And plus two at the time was a winner. Now, the weird thing is, is as, I mean, we make these picks on Tuesday, Wednesday. As the week progresses and you look at the line moves, that was like one of the weirdest ones. Usually when you see this, it's like the original favorite was really the right play. Where this line went all the way to Minnesota minus two. And it's typically public money that does that. And you're like, oh, God, I'm not feeling so good about this now because the public's usually wrong. But again, they got it done. Justin Jefferson just had his way. Just a great start for, again, my offensive player of the year. So let's talk about your lock of the week. What did you like about about the Chargers and what didn't you like about the Raiders? Look, the, the Chargers, in my opinion, are a top three team this year. I mean, I mentioned that. I think Herbert is going to be up there in the running. I think I picked them as the MVP. I think the Chargers are going to go very far. And that's why I picked them against the Chiefs to win this game Thursday night. Too much firepower. I thought the, the Chargers were going to be able to overwhelm the Raiders' offensive line. And that's exactly what happened. They dominated on that side of the ball. But it was still it a was close still game. Close, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was still a close game. But I'll surprise you this week. So I picked Let's against bring the it. Raiders. Come on. So I picked against the Raiders last week. I chose the Chargers as the winning side. The lock of the week this week are the Las Vegas Raiders against the Arizona Cardinals. The The spread is minus five and a half at home. I just think the Raiders offense is going to overwhelm the, the Cardinals. Uh, the Cardinals looked like a mess in week one. I don't think it's going to get better in week two. And I think the Raiders are going to come out victorious in their home opener. 
All right, that is not one of my games. And as, I mean, if anybody's been listening for the last, I don't know how many years or whatever, you know, I typically like the, the underdogs and the and home underdogs. Don't like to bet on the road teams very often, you know, unless there's a, there's a compelling story there. Right now, the Steelers are one and a half point underdogs at home against New England. New England, I mean, I don't know. You can't always look at one game and say, okay, this is what you're going to get the next week. But that mess that is the Patriots' offense, I'm just not feeling real good about it. I like uh, Tomlin in an underdog role. Now, granted, it's one and a half points. TJ Watt's not going to be there. That's one thing that I'm, I'm really concerned with. But I'm going to take the Steelers plus one and a half. Next one. So those same Miami Dolphins that we're talking about, I don't want to say everybody, but a lot of people are getting hyped about this whole thing. And yeah, they look at the defense played great. But again, now they're going on the road. The Ravens, who kind of slept walk through a, you know, kind of a laugher with the Jets. It was never close. Lamar made a few plays, hit some receivers for touchdowns, which is great. You don't see a lot of that, but Duvernay and Bateman on a couple of uh, deeper balls. So I'm going to go with the Ravens here, minus three and a half. The next one, again, another home dog, the Saints getting three from Tampa. Tampa's offense, again, there's a lot of things they got to work out here. I don't think Chris Godwin's going to be available for this game, but they do have Russell Gage. Julio looked like he was, again, another guy looked 10 years younger. Uh, So maybe they'll feature him a little bit more, but Brady's had this issue with Dennis Allen during the regular season. So I'm going to stay on that trend. I'm going to take the Saints plus three, although it took them till the second half to wake up or the fourth quarter, actually. I think they got Jameis uh, in a little bit more of a flow, going no huddle. And uh, Landry stepped up. Can't guard Mike stepped up. Olave stepped up. So I think we're going to see a little bit more of that against the Bucks. So I'm going to go with the Saints here. And the ugly game of the week. I know it's going to be Alex's favorite. And I love the Colts, of course. But again, this is one of those situations. I'm going with Jacksonville plus four. Jacksonville, they had their moments against the Commanders. Looked like they had the lead. They might win the game. But there was enough good there that I think going back home, playing back in Duval, they're going to get it done. And the Colts, again, they have a house of horrors. And this one is Jacksonville. It just seems like they just don't play well there. For one reason or another, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to take Jacksonville plus the four. Ugly game of the week. Those are your four. Have at it, Alex. Tell me why I'm nuts. Matt Ryan is going to break that Jacksonville curse, I'm going to tell you. Because the Colts looked horrible in week one. They can't play like that against the Jaguars. I mean, this is their chance against the two, the, the worser teams in this division. They have to be able to walk away with some wins. I mean, they can't come away with another loss against the Jaguars. Or I mean, Frank Reich is not going to last till September. I mean, he's going to be out of there, especially with the new quarterback. So... Read them and weep. Matt Ryan is going to break that curse. But I like the strategy, Lou. I like the strategy taking, you know, the home dogs, going with the points and going with the underdogs there at home. I like it. Got to love a live dog. Some more numbers. Again, under the radar, Darren Waller signed a pretty big extension. Three years, $51 million extension. I mean, you can work out the numbers, what it is, you know, over the life of the contract, whatever, but that's what he got. Are you in or out on that? 
No, I'm in on it just because you've got Josh McDaniels in there and, you know, he likes to use the tight ends. Waller has been a, a success story the last couple of years in this Raiders offense after converting from wide receiver to tight end. He's got speed, catches touchdowns. I think this is a good move for the Raiders. I mean, this is a different offense when they have Waller on the field. Now they have Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro. They've got a lot of weapons for Derek Carr. So this team has got to be better than what they showed during week one action. I think they'll take it out on the Arizona Cardinals. I like the move. All right. Another one, again, was under the radar. I had kind of dug for it a little bit because you'd think it would have been a big deal, but kind of a no-brainer for the Colts, extending Quentin Nelson four years, $80 million. Uh, yes, he is a guard, but he's like the best guard in the NFL. You know, Zach Martin's up there too, a couple of the Golden Domers, so they're kind of representing the uh, the Irish there. But uh, I guess I was a little surprised at the, at the number. I thought it might actually be a little bit higher, or might have held out for more. I don't. You good with the number? I mean, obviously, I'm assuming you're good with the extension. How can you not be good with the extension or good with the number? That's a lot of money for offensive guard. I realized that he could have, you know, waited a little bit more, maybe not sign this year, maybe next year. But, you know, I think Quentin Nelson is happy being there. He's one of the best offensive linemen in the game. And I'm happy that the Colts got it done. And I'm happy for Nelson as well. And then finally, you know, reportedly Lamar turned down uh, the $250 million deal, which, you know, had either, you know, somewhere between 135 and $160 million or maybe even as much as 180 million guaranteed, uh, supposedly turns it down. There's not, I mean, there's no agent here. No one's leaking this information. It's just kind of gleaned from different things. I don't know how they got the information because I don't think Lamar would be leaking that. You think this is a distraction? I mean, seriously, I mean, we've been talking about it all off season. He's been waiting, betting on himself. Bashadi, I don't think is going to go fully guaranteed, right? So, I mean, is this going to turn into another Kirk Cousins? It's a lot of money to turn down, Lou, especially, yeah. when, especially when you're a running quarterback in this league. You're just one hit away from injuring a knee or injuring a shoulder and going down for the entire season. For a running quarterback, that's a lot of money to turn down. I realize that Lamar is betting on himself, but that is insane in my opinion because if you're a pocket quarterback, that's one thing. But when you're a running quarterback, you just you can get hit at any time, any given time. And when you turn down that money, you could be out for the season and then nobody's going to offer you that money again. So I don't know. He's got to have some better people in his ear. He doesn't have an agent. Then I'm fine with that. I know he's consulting with his mom and he's got, you know, NFL PA helping him out there. But Think of the common sense a little bit. You got to protect yourself as an NFL player. You can't think that I turned down this deal, there'll be a better deal coming next summer. There will be a better deal, but if you stay healthy, that's a huge risk. I wouldn't be able to do that just in his position. I would take that money and run to the bank. I don't think it's going to be a distraction. I don't think that's who Lamar is. I think the talks will, you know, obviously go into next offseason. But again, he's just, he's taking a huge risk right now, which I'm not sure I would be able to take if I was in his position. Well, every quarterback, and especially one at that level, is going to have some amount of ego, 
right? I mean, you have to. I mean, excel at that level. To, I mean, you just have to have that belief in yourself. But I think it's the ego is getting a little getting away from him a little bit here because I think he just has it in his head that hey, if they gave that guy, meaning Deshaun Watson, two hundred thirty million dollars guaranteed. I'm better than him, which is true. I don't I don't think there's any question about that. Or at least he's performed better. Deshaun hasn't played, it seems like, in forever. Again, it's it's got to be an ego thing where I have to get more than that guy, even though the subsequent deals haven't shown that. And I think, again, these owners are going to try to stick together here and say that was an outlier. They had to offer him that or he wasn't going to play for them. You are, you know, we built this team for you. You're our quarterback. The fans love him. The team loves him. Again, they built the team for him. But again, it's like, it's almost like I've got to get more than that guy guaranteed. And it's got to be fully guaranteed. I don't think he's going to see it. So, you know, you're going to see perhaps a franchise tag next year and then perhaps a franchise tag the following year, which you're kind of teams going to be in a weird situation because, you know, that's fully guaranteed. You can't massage the cap with that money, right? That's the number. Okay. So whatever that turns out to be like 48 million or 50, whatever it is. And then it has to go up by like 10 or 20% the following year. If you tag him again, yeah, it gives the team some assurances for that injury but as far as like you said if Lamar's sake goes seriously I mean we're talking about almost 200 million dollars 180 million dollars guaranteed and if you do stay healthy it's going to be 250 plus how much more do you need but so that's what leads me to believe it's just an ego thing I'm better than him so I got to get paid more than him I want to say this in closing and we'll save it for another show I disagree with Lou I think Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback than Lamar Jackson, even though Watson has not won an MVP. Yeah, But I mean, Lamar that's... Jackson has always been on a better team that was built around him and, you know, featured the run. And he didn't have to throw quite as much. Watson played for a horrible Texans team for a couple of years there. I'm going to say that Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback than Lamar Jackson. I don't think I'm... Uh, I'm going out of left field here. We're not talking about character. We're not talking about off-the-field things. We're talking about straight football stuff. Watson is a better quarterback than Jackson. More accomplished, then, I guess, is uh, might be a better term or just the fact that, you know, again, I think you know, as far as a quarterback's concerned, that does enter into it because now you're not just the quarterback. You're almost like on the C level or on the uh, chief uh, level of the corporate structure of your team. So, yeah, we can talk about that another day. All right. So, to recap the picks, Alex is going lock of the week again. Who is it? I went with the Las Vegas Raiders over the Arizona Cardinals. Okay. So, there's your lock of the week from Alex. And my four again Pittsburgh is an underdog against New England, Baltimore, three and a half point favorite at home. Jacksonville, the ugly game of the week, plus four against the Colts. Let's go Jags. And the Saints to carry this trend, plus three over the Tampa Bay Bucks. So that is going to do it for us this week, folks. Enjoy the games. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any of these scintillating comments, scintillating opinions, and, of course, the picks. So for Alex, I'm Lou. Peace.